I'm Dave Minocco, the Alan Meyer Family Head of School at Parish Episcopal School. Welcome to the From My Angle podcast. In this edition of From My Angle, I return to my series of interviews with recent parish graduates. Sister and brother team Teal and Tristan Cooper graduated from Parish in 2012 and 2014, respectively. Teal then went on to San Diego State. She graduated there in 2016, and Tristan on to the University of Texas. He graduated just last year in 2018. Now, they are busy working together in San Diego on Vendabean, a coffee vending machine concept that they birthed together in 2015, while both were still in college. In this conversation, we discuss the challenges of being a young entrepreneur, as well as some of the ways schooling today might best prepare students for the complex global society Teal and Tristan are presently navigating. All right, Teal and Tristan Cooper, welcome to the From My Angle podcast. I'm glad you all woke up early out there in California to, uh, to, to join me this morning. Thanks so much for having us. Thank you. We're glad to have both of you. Um, it's early, but not that early. I jest. It's uh, uh, almost 9 a.m. Uh, out there, 10 a.m., I think, actually. And, and yeah. you guys are up and on your way uh, as co-partners uh, and, and co-entrepreneurs in, in Vendabean, the company that you all have uh, been working on for uh, um, almost almost two and a half, three years now. And we'll get into that in a little bit. But, uh, of course, want to work backwards a little bit and have you tell us your respective uh, parish stories as a brother and sister duo that you are. So, Teal, why don't you start as the uh, as the elder statesman of the Cooper family and yeah. tell us about your your a little bit of your parish backstory. You know how long you were at parish and when you graduated and where you went after you left us. Yeah, so I started parish at high school, and I was there for all four years of high school. Graduated in 2012, and after I went to San Diego State University, where everyone you know. I was super outside of the box compared to everyone else I went to school with. <laughs> They're like, why are you it going was. to San Diego? Yeah. Uh, and now I'm still out here in San Diego. Awesome. And Tristan, how about you? Yeah. So I came to Parrish in uh, 2009 and came in my eighth grade and stayed all the way out uh, through high school as well and graduated in 2014. And then after that, I went to University of Texas in Austin and I graduated with an economics uh, degree and then Right after I graduated, I moved out to San Diego to join Teal, and I've been here for four months now. So, yes. awesome left uh, left Texas to 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 go do the go do the business uh, work that you were needed to do out there, and stop doing all the remote back and forth from uh, from Austin, which is how you were handling it for the last <laughs> year and a half plus, right? So, yeah, no, it, um, made, it definitely made our <laughs> operations a lot more efficient once I came out here. So. I bet. So um, yeah, we were just talking offline before we, we jumped on to the, to the podcast about, um, you know, that you were asking about some of the changes at, at, at Parrish. You know, it's been um, uh, almost six years since Teal's gone and, and four plus since, since Tristan left. And, um, you know, a lot has changed, obviously, as, as is the case oftentimes uh, when, when one leaves a, a place that they graduated from. But if you hearken back to those days when you both came to Parrish, it was still a relatively young, um, uh, young high school. Uh, and, and so Teal was in the uh, fifth, fifth graduating class, I believe. So, you know, when you think back to your uh, days at Parish and the upper school in particular, what are some of the fond memories or people or highlights of that experience that you had from your, your days at Parish? You want to get, you want to go first this time, Tristan? Yeah. Um, I mean, I love my high school experience overall for sure. And I know Parish had a whole lot to do with that. Um, 
I mean, the friendships I've made just to start with alone are like friends I'll have throughout my whole life that I still mm-hmm. keep in touch with like weekly. And then also just like the experience I had just like with the sports teams, the mm-hmm. court, like curriculum that I had there, the challenging curriculum that I had to go with each day, like the lessons I've learned through just that are pretty amazing itself. But I mean, I still even, I always just reminisce on like basketball. I always like miss the sports teams aspect of it too. And I just loved it. Yeah. You were a big athlete here playing basketball and football. Those were, those are the places where you found a lot of your, your passions. How about you Tia? What do you recall from the the days, uh, the days here at Midway? I mean, so many memories. The one that really stands out is the senior prank day and like tinfoiling Mr. Jennings' room. <laughs> uh, just doing, having so much fun with our whole class. I think Parrish, it was so great how like, inclusive and tight-knit the community was, and I'm sure still is, and how personal the relationships were with all the teachers as well, mm-hmm. which I think is super rare for high schools. So, I mean, all, in all in all, the, our high school experience, I think, was pretty amazing. Yeah, absolutely. And so uh, y'all mentioned where you went off to to, to school. And, and I think it's interesting um, as we talk about, you know, what you did at your respective universities, um, how it's brought you to the point where you where you are now, particularly in your case, too, because you, you certainly didn't go off to um, to be to be an entrepreneur. In fact, I think I recall, um, it, you know, when you when you first left and as you as you headed out to San Diego State, you, you saw yourself as the uh, next um ESPN sideline reporter or yes. uh, t- oh know, television God. television news star, right? You you had an intent to uh, take take a take your work into the world of journalism. So tell us a little bit too about um, what you studied at, at San Diego State, and um, you know just some of the highlights of your time uh, in the university field. Yeah, so it's funny. I actually majored in journalism, media studies. Like my emphasis was in media studies, and. Pretty early on, all of my classes were pretty vague and broad. And then it wasn't till junior year we start getting specific with your major. And mm-hmm. that's when I started realizing it just wasn't resonating with me. And I, I think I went in thinking I wanted to do one thing and kind of came out thinking I want to do the opposite. So it was a pretty interesting experience. I think it's important for everyone to know that there's no need or rush to know what you want to do. Like colleges for figuring out you know what you're interested in and then I think after college is where you really figure out what you're good at and you learn from experience so I learned I I had I did a couple internships in college as well doing you know working for media companies and uh, PR marketing and journalism and I just hated it so Mm -hmm. I realized you know this isn't for me Mm -hmm. and um, brought me to our entrepreneurial journey that we are on today (laughs) and you did some travel um some travel abroad when you when you were in school as well and uh, were involved in your in your sorority. There are other highlights or are things that uh, were um, pivotal experiences for you at, at San Diego State? Yeah, I mean, I think every all the people I met and I think the most important thing that I took away from college was the network and really, mm-hmm. you know, every handshake you meet you have is a super, you know, influential relationship on your career, I think. Mm-hmm. And it's just important to always like be open-minded and nice to everyone and yeah, you know, like follow up on all the relationships that you make because you never know what yeah, it is. So, so the building of the building of network uh, yeah. was, was, was crucial. And, and I know you uh, will talk about that when we, when we talk about how you launched, uh, launched the business, which it, at first really had a lot, uh, a lot of presence on college campuses. Right. And so not knowing how to navigate those systems was important to you guys. Definitely. Definitely. For sure. So Tristan, you went down to UT and, um, you know, I think probably could arguably say we're 
perhaps a little more on uh, on the pathway toward uh, a life in the world of business. I know you majored in economics and, um, you know, we're uh, very involved in uh, ZBT, the fraternity down at UT where a lot of parish uh, students have, have found a home. So tell us about your, tell us about your UT highlights and, and uh, maybe, you know, if, if Teal, like Teal, did your, did your um, career focus, did you have a pivot or a, or a, a sense of intent, intensifying of what you wanted to do as you did your studies or how did that play out for you? Yeah, I mean, I definitely did not take, I definitely took a more generic approach when I went to UT and I, I loved every second of it and a lot of other people from Parrish went there too. So mm -hmm. that was also great. I, I came in with a group of guys that I actually were already close with. So that was amazing. But um, for my path into entrepreneurship, um, I actually came to Parrish undeclared. Mm -hmm. um, I kind of, I took, took the undeclared route. didn't really know what I wanted to do. I always had a passion for entrepreneurship, but mm -hmm. kinda, I feel like you need to have an idea before it kind of all comes to play. But mm -hmm. Um, basically after my freshman year, I took an internship at Amerisource Bergen, which is a pharmaceutical company and it was a cubicle job. I was undeclared. So they kind of put me in the customer service space mm -hmm. where I'd be doing a repetitive task each day, worked every day of that whole summer. And I didn't take any days off and whatnot, but at the end of it, I was just like, this is not for me. Like I mm -hmm. definitely stuck with it, tried my best, had an open mind going into it, but I knew like wholeheartedly that I just could not do the structure uh, nine to five job where I was sitting in the cubicle and doing the repetitive tasks. So the idea of vendor being, we already kind of had it at that point in time. Mm -hmm. And after that, I just like called Seal and said, let's do this because I know that we need to start now, especially um, early on when I was still in college and try to get it up and running so we could support ourselves once I graduated. So it kind of, I definitely had a, a path that I kind of knew early on in my college career, but um, it, it definitely, that changed my job, my internship at Amerisource that really made me want to take it and go headstrong with the idea of end of being. So. Yeah. You guys both had really powerful um, experiences by the internship Teal's negating something <laughs> that she thought she might want to do. And, and, and to a certain degree, yours doing that too, um, Tristan, though you were certainly in the, at least in the business um space. And I think as an educational entrepreneur, you know, you're talking about this a little bit. Um, you know, the hope that we have here at Parrish is we talk about this notion of reimagining school. I mean, is that you don't have to wait to those college internships that to, to begin to crystallize uh, where some of your points of passion are and uh, much of the work we've been doing, you know, in its earliest phases while you guys were here, but certainly more so in the last five or six years has been the creation of programs like the Academy of Global Studies or our upper school students study a global, um, a global concern of deep interest to them for the entirety of their upper school time or the Leadership Institute, as uh, you guys have spoken with them in the past, where, you know, kids have to launch their own um, social or business entrepreneur project over their junior and senior year or even Parish Bridge, which I think Teal would have been around the first class or of the one week uh, senior project you know, Parish Bridge, which is now a five-week experience for our seniors. They leave campus here around the 10th of April and, and don't return to campus and uh, take an online course in an area of interest. They uh, go off and do anywhere from 15 to 50 hours of uh, job shadowing out in, in, in the community. Uh, you know, all of these programs have really been oriented um, to uh, uh, as the first part of a larger vision for ourselves here to 
uh, make sure that our high school students are um, leaving here with hopefully a little bit more real world experience in ways that will crystallize uh, how they want to use their time on their college campuses and prepare them for what uh, you know, our mission statement today calls the complex global society. So it's instructive, I think, to hear about the power of the internship that you guys had and, and also Teal's points around the power of networking. You know, a lot, a lot of what you talked about in your college experience has little to do with the books and a lot to do with what was happening outside the classroom. <laughs> exactly, exactly. <laughs> yeah, it's, that's how it works. Yeah. So um, let's go to Vendabeen and, and um, you know, before we sort of do its origin story, which is what's always fascinating with entrepreneurs, I think, um, why don't you just tell the audience here in, in concept what Vendabeen is, and then we'll sort of track it back, because I think they're probably wondering, Vendabeen, you know, what is that? So let's just give them, let's cut right to the chase. So Teal, tell us, uh, tell us what Vendabeen uh, does, and then we'll, we'll have Tristan maybe tell us the history origin story of it. Yeah, you know, it's kind of funny how we originally started like our goal and vision of who we're targeting, but we are a high quality innovative coffee solution for, you know, companies. Originally, it was for the productive person on the go, you know, made for colleges for students to drink a high quality cup of coffee, you know, late at night studying for finals or in between classes to grab something that's, you know, convenient, but also high quality and delicious. And now... Mm -hmm. We're targeting more of the workforce environment where it's, you know, a barista robot for companies that matches their office culture and employee morale and productivity of, um, you know, like what all these companies are striving to achieve in mm -hmm. today's competitive job market. So, yeah, so really, and you can go on on the, on their website and, and actually see um, some examples of the machine, but it is a vending machine for coffee that's ven thus venda bean and and so it's initial iteration and it's still in its present form today um you know picture a picture a cup of co uh, a cup getting uh, a really nice warm uh high-end cup of uh, coffee uh you know product put right into it uh and and uh and offered to to you right when you need it and where you want it uh, around your workplace or at least initially in the university so tristan take us back to the origin story you mentioned that this was something you guys had been um, you know, thinking about and considering uh, even while you were in school and it was really just as Teal was coming out that um, you guys really dug into this in earnest. So tell us how this all got going. Yeah, no, of course. Um, so the backstory of how the concept or idea uh, came to be was that one night, late night studying, I did study a bunch in college as well, but late night studying my second semester in college it was about 12 a.m. and um, I like had, I think, three exams the next day and I only was like halfway through the second one. I knew I was going to be up until like about four or six a.m. It was one of those nights. And I went on a little walk to go find some coffee because I already was a coffee addict, but I definitely needed some at that time. <laughs> and I honestly, I walked around our campus. It's a pretty large campus. And the best thing I found were these bottled, these glass bottle frappuccinos that right. makes in a vending machine and i was like wait this can't be right like this is a pretty like progressive campus has a lot of cool ideas should have pretty amazing amenities for college students that they know study late night but there was actually just nothing there and so i kind of was dead at that point in time so i ended my night early just to say let, let me get a couple hours of sleep and wake up early and on my walk home I called my sister who was studying abroad in Florence luckily and she was up at the time so basically I was just like 
I have this idea for an automated 24 seven coffee, like that's high quality that a student could drink when they're studying late at night. Cause there's nothing open right now. And she was like, Oh my God, like, that's an amazing <laughs> idea. There's these machines all around my campus in Florence that are making these amazing high quality coffee out of this vending machine. Hmm. Like why I've never thought of this, but why is it not in the U S right now? Mm-hmm. And like kind of the light bulb obviously just went off there between our minds. And um, I think that was in 2015. So in 2016 in February time, we got a beta um, from a company out in, uh, we actually, we, we got a beta from a company in the U S that mm-hmm. makes vending machines and just didn't really do much due diligence. Just kind of just bought it. And it was a, it was not a bean to cup machine. It was really bulky, not pretty. And we convinced, I don't know how Teal convinced a apartment complex to let's put this machine in their lobby area mm-hmm. and it completely failed. Like terrible quality coffee. I know, but I, I came by. Yeah. It was terrible quality coffee. Like it wasn't a good product that we were excited about. And sadly, we actually had to sell the machine and took a capital loss of about 85% on that machine, mm-hmm. which was crazy. Mm-hmm. And you'd think like maybe you'd give up then, but for some reason, uh, we kept going with it. And before we sold that machine, we, some uh, company out in Spain reached out to us and mm-hmm. told us about their technology and that they loved our concept and whatnot and our branding and that we would be interested in them. So I flew out to Chicago my sophomore year um, in college to meet them and test out their technology and absolutely fell in love with it. They were way ahead of the curve. There's nothing like this I've ever seen in the US. And we bought a prototype of their machine that year, tested it, then um, raised a pre-seed round and bought 20 machines and they came in February of 2017. And then we relaunched our product in March of 2017 with three machines. And since then we've just been rolling out those machines and now we have 52 in San Diego. Mm-hmm. And it was only till recently, like since I moved here four months ago that we made the pivot to doing office coffee service and complimentary coffee for office. Yeah. Cause those first, those first uh, couple dozen machines were all uh, to your initial vision, to your and Teal's initial conversation on college campuses, correct? So kind of, um, we definitely strive to be in college campuses, but mm-hmm. we quickly learned that, there were a lot of barriers in place that don't let small entrepreneurs and startups to get on a really high traffic yeah. and high demanding campus. So we were kind of taking like the scraps initially and some of them, we still have a couple machines out that are doing amazing from our initial launch. But um, after, after that, and right now we don't do the scraps anymore. We're able to get our word out there network well. And now we're actually getting like college campuses and whatnot and hospitals mm-hmm. And uh, talking to airports right now about retail, but um, initially it was all scraps. We were kind of just getting what we could get, like actually striving to get college campuses, but they weren't giving us the time of day, kind of just weren't interested. They needed to see a proven concept first. So um, sadly, no, it wasn't that amazing and that quick of a jump into a college campus. But um, after about a year, I think we started getting traction with better contracts. So I mean, yeah, I mean, it takes a long time with a, a lot of red tape, especially for uh, young entrepreneurs with no credibility to convince, you know, a college campus or a hospital. I mean, we ended up getting in 
to most of those big accounts. It just took a year. So a lot of no's at first. For sure. Heard so a you lot. Guys are, um, you guys have already had an amazing experience procuring, uh, you know, VC or venture capital initial fundraising. You've had um, initial experience uh, partnering with a manufacturer or provider of your capital because you, you're not in the manufacturing business. You've had uh, excellent experience on product development because you had to figure out uh, who you were going to have as a, as, a, as a coffee partner and, and supplier. You've had major experience in supply chain <laughs> management and the challenges of you know, delivering uh, on a product when you're not going to have an employee um, standing around the machine at every minute to fix snafus, um, sales and, and marketing, uh, all the rest. Like if you look across and I've probably left some of the plates you're spinning out, I'm sure. But as you look across all those, all those plates you had spinning in the air, wh which, which of those have been most challenging for you guys as young entrepreneurs, Teal? Wow. <laughs> so many challenges. <laughs> Can't think of one. Um, you know, I think, the first one that came to mind is like, for me, I have zero experience in um, technical, like engineering type uh, work. And in the beginning, it was just me, had to, I had to teach myself how to take apart and fix all these pieces in the machine, like actually use tools, take apart the internal hmm. you know, wirings of the machine, replacing grinders, because there was no one that we could hire that knew how to do this because the manufacturer's out in Spain. Right. You know, FaceTiming the manufacturer and figuring this out on the spot when, you know, we had a launch at a new location that day. Like a lot of pressure, but also a lot of figuring it out as you go. And no one's there telling you what to do. I mean, that's definitely been a challenge. I think more challenges as well are, you know, going into meetings and being young and, you know, having to um, defend yourself and your company when a lot of people are just kind of, trying to make you feel discouraged and defeated so yeah, people are brutal with that they don't, they don't really care about your feelings in the real world they're just like <laughs> yeah no and just kind of rip you apart in front yeah. of your face and you're just kind of sitting there kind of just take it honestly yeah yeah it's um, not a good idea. what how about for you tristan i mean if it wasn't so much the technical aspect it's really interesting i hadn't even thought about that but um what what would be one for you so i mean i i don't know me until both actually it's funny. Um, we both know how to take that machine apart and put it back basically 95%. So mm -hmm. it's pretty crazy. Like actually looking that we're able to accomplish that is kind of insane. But for me, um, I'd say like, I don't think people understand that like for a different companies, supply chain management, which I handle a lot of is extremely mm -hmm. hard to stay on top of. Like mm -hmm. if we like inventory, making sure the machines come on time, getting accounts and sales. And it's kind of like, you have to look into the future and basically say, what do we need by that time? And mm -hmm. figure it all out and project it on like data you have from the past and make mm -hmm. sure that it's perfectly suited for your company to stay running. Mm -hmm. And we've had some close calls. Like it's not all beautifully running. Like we've run out of product and it came in like the day of that we needed it to supply a couple machines that um, would have been out. And we, I wouldn't say lost the account, but, would have had a, would have, they would have had a bad experience. And it's really hard mm -hmm. to bounce back with large accounts. Once they have a bad experience with you, they kind of just, they have, it's such a, a highly competitive field that they have options. So it's not, you got to just make sure that they're always satisfied. And I think supply chain management is the reason they are satisfied. Um, Till and I did the route system 
um, when before we had, I think until 20 machines, I think we ran the routes. We did it uh, ourselves. Yeah. And the funny thing is, is when you're doing routes and physical like labor yeah. like that, yeah. you don't have time to grow the company. Yeah. It kind of takes away your time. Mm-hmm. And um, luckily we are now past that point. We have three part-time employees that do that for us now. And mm-hmm. we're able to kind of grow the business to fully does sales. Now she spends her whole time on sales and sales. I don't know if Teal even mentioned this. She had no experience with sales and sales is extremely difficult. Like mm-hmm. once you, especially a lot, a lot of rejection, you have right. to have a lot of confidence, a lot of like respect for yourself and know, and know what you're selling. And she had no experience initially jumping into it. And I tried it and I honestly terrible at it. And mm-hmm. I mean, you still take the rejection no matter what, but she's gotten really good at it. And mm-hmm. it's pretty amazing what she could do now with selling the company. But like, I, it's just something like, I, I'd say the challenging part is you're jumping into a lot of these things, especially as young entrepreneurs that you've never done before in your life. And you have to be okay with failing. Like you have to be okay with failing and learning from your mistakes and being comfortable that it might not be a success the first time you jump into it, but knowing that you can learn from that fail and jump back and make it better the next time. So yeah, which I think is a great point. And, and I, you know, I think asking you guys here to, to think about um, if you were consulting, um, you know, me and the others that lead this school on what we could do more or less of um, uh, here to uh, position, you know, today's present pair of students to be in a good place to tackle the complex global society. Uh, that's one of the riffs I go on quite a bit, right? Is that school in general, not just parish, but school in general in the K-12 space and then up into the university space is, uh, is, is an old model. And it's, a, it's an old model that's very standardized and it's very structured. You know, your disciplines are in silos and your class periods are in designated time demarcations and your curriculum is effectively adult curated and, and sort of dispensed to the, dispensed to the students and uh, the, the um, students themselves become um, you know, v- very much uh, a slave, if you will, to, uh, to playing the system and understanding it's, it's very linear rules and it's very uh, consistent constructs. And uh, what we're trying to do, what I'm curious about as an educator is, is uh, creating um, less rigidity in the school experience, more authenticity in the learning process for kids. Uh, so that there are more opportunities for them to, to face failure. And it's difficult. You know, kids, um, kids want the answer. They want to know what's on the test. They want to get the grade because they want to get into college and their parents are paying a lot of tuition and they wanted to be kind of taught and they want to know when the assignment is and how it was graded. And uh, you don't want necessarily a whole lot of agency put back on the, on the students. And, you know, this is the system we've created in our country to a great degree. And, I'm not so sure it's the one that's most apropos for preparing kids for a world, as you found out, which can be a little harsh, a little cruel, uh, a little challenging, nonlinear, not so rules based. So, you know, if you're looking back now to, you know, give consultation to a place like Parrish uh, from your perch uh, just into into the real world, what would you have liked to see more of in your uh, in your school experience that you that you could have benefited from today? I mean, sadly, Ms. Renaka, you're in a very difficult position. I know, and I think you understand that the structure is flawed because it doesn't correlate well with the real world. And 
I, I think you see that. And it's hard when you try to change a structure because it's not just changing yours because you have to make the end goal of high school is getting into a college and they're not changing their structures either. So it's very difficult. Um, I mean, it's so, I, I don't even know where to start. Um, do you have any of like what we, what we wish high school had more of to prepare. Well, I think what you said, all the new, um, um, the, the new classes that like, kind of get your mind. Oh, was that? Okay. Um, the new classes that kind of get your mind rolling around and giving you kind of a better understanding of what you're interested in. Mm -hmm. Definitely. I think it's very, should be very valued as someone in high school. Mm -hmm. because I took, core curriculum three times in my life that mm -hmm. was kind of like very repetitive and it didn't really get my mind um expanded into some other interests that are out there that you could go into um i just mean kind of punching the app you were just kind of punching the academic clock as it were yeah and i think it's still i think the academic and core curriculum still has like immense um value for any student i just think that it needs to be expanded into taking besides taking three of the same classes basically throughout my whole life that i'm just i've already gone through it before and i don't know why my college is asking me to take it again and waste i wouldn't say waste but do another two years on it when i could have actually spent more time taking other classes of interest yeah um, i think that the, yeah the example would be it no offense to those that teach it yeah. how many times does one need to learn about the the civil the facts of the civil war right if you have it in uh fourth grade and then again in eighth grade and again in 11th grade and then maybe in a uh intro history course that you have to take for a credit circumstance at school um that's i think uh, would be an example of what you're talking about in terms of this repetitiveness of some of the curriculum that uh students in the united states are exposed to yeah no i agree completely um I think one one thing that's kind of funny to me is like the government plays a huge role on kind of just your life in general once you enter the real world, like paying taxes, just for instance, and you don't learn anything about that in class. Yeah, like, there's nothing about that, and then you get fined, like knowing that you're supposed to do any of this. Uh huh. And it's kind of like a slap in the face, saying like I didn't even know this existed until. Yeah, we've built some financial management into, uh, there's now a course, there's now a, an elective course in the upper school that students are taking in, in essentially financial literacy. And there's some components of that in the Parish Bridge experience for the, uh, for the, for the seniors in those five weeks that I was speaking about. But I hear that frequently um, from our alums um, relative yeah. to you know, essentially a, either business financial literacy or personal fi financial literacy. No, I think that's amazing. Like, I and I think that's a huge add-on to the curriculum for sure and definitely will help the students in the long run when they're in our spots because there's all these things that just pop out of nowhere that you don't learn about so I think that's amazing and the other the new add-ons in court and curriculum that you guys have added in classes you've added that we spoke about I think offline mm -hmm. before initially they yep. all sound amazing they, they all sound very broad and spectrum from what any other school I've talked to are providing. So it's pretty amazing. Well, what they try to do, what they try to do each in their own way is, um, again, create, um, create a sense of the unpredictable for the students and that, uh, and as much as possible, put the management of that unpredictability back in the hands of the, uh, of the upper school student in particular, rather than, uh, you know, rather than the, the adult that's, that's surrounding them. So, 
time will tell. You know, our, our batch of uh, present alums are, are not going to hit your, your station for another uh, six to eight years, and, and we're going to continue to stay really connected to our alums to ensure that, uh, you know, they're finding their way as the world um, changes even more rapidly and creates more on, uh, more entrepreneurial experience. I was uh, with uh, Will Clark, um, who uh, was right between you all in, in school class, of tw- uh, actually right before Teal, I think 2011. And, um, you know, he's out starting a business in blockchain now. And, and uh, you know, we just have a lot of our alums that are, that are, that are exploring the entrepreneurial space. And so uh, I'm going to be very curious as to whether the batch of parish graduates in this uh, uh, next coming generation feel um, you know, even more prepared. Uh, you guys were clearly prepared and ready to, to do your thing, but even more prepared to, to tackle the challenges of the, of the real world. So in wrapping up, like what's the... Uh, What's the what's the future for for Vendabeam? Will we see some of your machines in in Texas anytime soon? Or are you all a a West Coast based California based business for the time being? For right now, I mean, the goal is to be in Texas eventually. But for right now, we plan to expand out. You know, kind of grow, gain a market share in San Diego, in Orange County, L.A. area, and then up to San Francisco. Mm-hmm. Really. Um, control the market in those three cities and yeah. um we, you know either that will lead to uh, acquisition or you know we we go to dallas as well but yeah. I mean, yeah. pretty awesome to be in dallas for sure well it'd be nice to have you back but uh you know obviously if uh, if if the if the course of of your network and and the uh, pro- product identity is is going to be best suited for you to grow to scale and, and manage it well out there in california that makes good good business, good business sense too. But regardless of, regardless of where it takes you, we're proud of y'all and, and, uh, excited about what you've undertaken and, uh, really the, um, yeah, the, the, the audacity of it all and the, and the courage it takes to, to forward into the ambiguity of starting something like you have from, from scratch and having to make adjustments as you, as you move along. That's a, a mindset here that, uh, we, we embrace at school is, as you know, as, as an organization, as an institution and our, 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 uh, awfully glad to see such bold leadership uh, in, in in some of our alums like uh, like you two. So congratulations on all you've accomplished so far, and good luck with your ongoing uh, ongoing work with Vendabeam. Thank, Thank you, you so much. much. We really appreciate it. I think Parrish, you know, it's such an amazing school to have graduated from. I think there's so much exciting, um, you know, things to come for Parrish as well. And I think we're just really happy and grateful that we were able to get an education yeah, from hundred yeah, percent. I agree completely. So for parents that want to follow you guys, um, in your social media presence or, or online, even from, uh, even from afar, what's the, what's the best way to do that? Just give us a, let's go take this one. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> Bean is the handle. So it's just V E N D I B E A N like a coffee bean. And that's across the board on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. So if anyone wants to give us a shout out. Absolutely. Love it. <laughs> Even though they're not by here, if you've got California contacts in your network, let them know about, uh, let them know about Ben Devine and, and uh, what two parish alums are making happen. So thanks for being with us on uh, From Thank My Angle, guys. It'll be great to be here. We appreciate it so much. Thank you for listening to this edition of the From My Angle podcast. Please share it with friends and colleagues in your network. Upcoming podcasts of From My Angle will feature additional conversations with our young alumni whose perspectives on life after parish I know you will enjoy. In the meantime, thank you for listening to the From My Angle podcast.